welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, whether you're doing it on cnjradio.com or you're subscribed on iTunes. Both is awesome. One is very acceptable. Thank you so very much. Sure, why not? Now, what we are going to do on the show here today, I'll introduce who my special, special, special guest is here in just a few seconds. It's going to be a four-part episode spread throughout the week here. Uh, As you are listening to this, I am actually not sitting live in the CNJ Radio studios. I am actually way, way beyond the comfort zone of CNJ Radio Studios or even the state of Texas, which I live in currently. I am all the way in Miami, Florida, maybe even yonder. And to help explain why this is a four-parter and what I'm doing all the way over there, I welcome my very very special guest who you might be familiar with already nola nola say hello hello everybody yes everybody loved your episode nola so figured this was very appropriate to have you back how how could i not have you back for this one this is my insane idea though because you were just like hey let's do one of these hey let's do a show yeah and that's I, that has now spawned into a four-part monster of a four-part monster episode yes we are out of town we are you know hey why waste time you know we could all go tomorrow so why not go on the kiss cruise right why not the nice people at chase were fun enough and kind enough to advance us some money and and we did not decline that, and now we are setting sail with the members of KISS and the KISS Army slash Navy. Yes, we will be, uh, as you're hearing this, we're probably being inducted into the KISS Navy as we speak here, and it's going to be awesome. And and for those of you out there who may be like, oh, Joey, come on now. What, what are you doing to this poor girl? Kiss, I mean, yuck. What, what, what are you doing? Like, oh, I get it. She is your Lois, and you are Peter. Uh, I promise it's probably not really like that. Well, nobody wants to be Peter Chris, but, you know, I'd, I'd put my makeup on like Eric Carr or Eric Singer. <laughs> but yeah, I've, I'm, I've, I've always hoped that, you know, the fact that I got lucky enough that Nola actually does like Kiss that I'm not just forcing her into the world of Kiss, because there's really no, there's really no dipping your toe in when it comes yeah, to something like no, this. There's no in-between. So, uh, if I may ask you some questions that I already know, that other people may not know the answers to, Nola, um, the obvious answer here, but how and why did you get into Kiss in the first place? I got into Kiss because this guy at the record store kept, like, hassling me and he was like hey you're pretty hey i kind of like you hey here's here's the entire kiss cd collection to date right now on copies including wicked lester and demos and could you please listen to these and love me and never leave me wow that must have been it was, that guy must have really liked you it was man it was so awkward i don't know what i was thinking he was working in a record store mm. and and you know, I don't, I don't know. Now he's, now he's working at a bookstore. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> well, he's he's pretty, he's a very lucky guy, but I got a feeling he knows that he is. Yeah, right. he's he's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Well, all comedy aside, here I just uh, I still I still hope that I'm not forcing Nolan to doing anything he doesn't want to do, but the fact that she's willing to do a kiss cruise with me and not just be some regular people cruise. Uh, I know I've got someone that I can live with for the rest of my life. <laughs> Not just because of that, but it's it's it, it's it a doesn't nice hurt. Bit. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt at all. It, um, I I would like to say that you are definitely not forcing me into the world of Kiss against my will. I do enjoy the aspects, whether it is a stage show, the records, the music, you know. just it's the sheer ridiculous and like fandom. That is Kiss, and it's it's almost more than a Star Trek fandom or a Star Wars fandom. It has been argued, and um, and and just seeing that kind of level of devotion and and some of the things that the Kiss Army is doing is really cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, we don't have to put the big ears on. So yeah, that, that that's that's a plus for me. Yeah, that's nice. So so Joey and Nola, what are we doing on Rock Strikes Ten today that you feel the need to spread out over four episodes? Now there may be some of you. I I, I have like eight listeners. I understand this. There may be a, a couple of you guys out there that aren't big Kiss fans. I I I would like for you to come along with us on this journey for this four part episode spread out through your week and give it a try. I'm gonna, we're going to bring into the world of Kiss since they just released their 20th studio album oh. a couple of weeks ago, Monster. <laughs> They're up to 20 studio proper studio albums, not counting best ofs and live collections and stuff like that. 20 studio albums. That's a pretty big milestone. That's a huge feat for any kind of recording artist. And yeah. and the fact that you know these guys have been not only around that long, but I know it's not the original four, the big four, the big yeah. line, the original lineup, whatever. Yeah. You know, kudos to Ace and Peter for getting it started. But, you know, had it not been for the Bruces, the Erics, the other Erics, the Tommies, <laughs> hell, even Vinny. Vinny, yeah, Vinny. Vinny was very important. Yeah. Vinny, you know, those. And Mark St. John, rest in peace. Yeah. Yes, Mark St. John. Was barely there, but, you know, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. But, um, you know, just. Just the fact that they kept this going for so long, that's yeah. just huge. And I'll do respect to someone like Elvis, for instance. Elvis was awesome. He was the man, he was the icon, he was the Yeah, but he was a man. But he was he was one man, and plus, yes, he, pro- he did more than 20 studio albums. I'm almost positive about that, but he didn't have to write any of the songs. Yeah, people these were guys... coming up to Elvis with probably boxes of songs and being yeah. like, would you please? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And these guys had to write their songs. There's like only like, maybe you can count all the covers they did on one hand. I believe, or maybe one and a half. Maybe two. Yeah. Whether you think that they're great lyrically or not, that's almost not the point. It's 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 basically just the Beatles wrapped in glam, trash, power pop. That's basically what it is. So come along with us on this four-parter, and we're going to take you into the world of history album by album. Yes, we're going to focus on every album they ever did in the studio and how we're going to do it is basically myself and Nola sat down, had a lot of fun over a few hours a few days ago, and looked at all the studio albums, and we each picked a song that we would like to play on the show for you. Now, in, in a very many instances, it was very hard to just pick one to represent yourself or that you would play for someone who's never been a fan. 
we're, we're almost kind of staying away from obvious songs and concert staples, but there are some of those in there too. It's, it's yeah, a nice a, mixed bag. Yeah, there's a couple. Yeah. Like for instance, we'll start off here. First album, just called Kiss, and like almost the whole album, they still play live. So it's like it's yeah, a that classic. Al- that album has what? Do Strutter, Cold Gin, Black Diamond, Hundred Thousand Years. They play all that stuff live. Yeah, so. I, I, when we went and saw them, they played what? Four of those five yeah, songs. About four of them. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's the it's one of those albums. If you're a fan, you got to have it. It's a great starter if you haven't ever got anything by before i would stand by it um my first you know i would probably say alive uh, if i had to just because it's the culmination of those first three albums and it's 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 just it's just the album that really got the ball rolling for them you know in the 70s the first album that most people that got into them originally that's the first one they own so it's a good record to start with also so alive is in my top desert island albums ever even though it's a live album but it's a good live album. It's it's very good. Uh, but going back to the first album here, uh, let's just uh, I think a good way to start off would uh, I'm picking the first song on the first album. We're gonna go with that also. It's gonna be Strutter. Can't go wrong with Strutter. And uh, the song I chose was written by Gene and Paul together. It was their first song that they wrote together. Even before there was a kiss, it was when they were hanging out. And it is called Let Me Know. All right, so let's uh, listen to those first two songs off of the 1974 studio album called Kiss. Gonna start off with Strutter, and then play Let Me Know, and then we'll come back and talk about the second album. Stay tuned.
Nice little jam there at the end to let me know. That was the end of the original Side A vinyl, if you had it on vinyl. Most people didn't when it first came out, because it didn't sell hardly anything. And, you know, it, it took them... It, it's one of those things. Kiss is uh, very fortunate to have started in the 70s. I, I think I've made this comment before to you, Nola, that it's not like this anymore, where a band starts off and they're not selling records, but as as luck would have it for them and a lot of other artists in the 70s, including uh, Billy Joel, Aerosmith, the label gave them time to develop, to find an audience, because, you know, there's really no such thing as an overnight sensation, for the most part, especially then. Well, not then, no. There there wasn't the internet and YouTube and, and cheeseburger cats. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, they, they, they had time to develop, and uh, they stuck with the label stuck with them and vice versa. They were getting a little bit of a buzz and they had the uh, option to sign to another label. They were making offers to them. Uh, but they said no, you know, because they were loyal and, you know, that's uh, that speaks a lot to their character, I think. They get they get bashed sometimes for having a lack of integrity or something like that. But to me, like some of the stuff they did, especially early on, speaks volumes. That's one instance of it. So I hope you guys enjoyed those two songs out there. That that wasn't so bad now, was it? It's, no, I don't think so. That was yeah. fun. Yeah, fun songs. Like I said. Good uh, starters. Yes. Power pop with makeup caked all over it and, and surrounded and topped with fire and explosions. That's what Kiss is. It doesn't, sometimes it doesn't come across on the record, but you can, you know, that's, that's why the mind is a great tool, you know, for music. Moving on to the next album. One of my favorites, one of Eric Singer's favorites. <sighs> The great Hotter Than Hell. Now, you know, I was talking about the last album where they still perform a ton of material off of it. They do not perform a lot of material off Hotter Than Hell anymore, and to me that's a crime. See, I, I just don't get it. I, looking over this thing, this this to me, this is one of the like four or five hardest albums to pick off for me on this list. So many great songs. and It's weird because the A side of the vinyl, and we're looking at the vinyl as we're talking here, the A side of the vinyl is, to me, all stuff they should be playing live. Side side two, I would love to hear some of this stuff, but I, I'm a little more realistic when it comes to those songs. I like all of these songs, but, I mean, it's just such a cool record. Uh, we did pick two of the songs off of the A side. Uh, Nola picked what might be my top five Kiss songs ever. So she said it first, so she gets the dibs on it. So, Nola, your song is... My song is Going Blind. This uh, The song I kept going back to when I was listening to these copies of KISS albums, and and it just kind of... It hit home a little bit, even, yeah. though, even though I'm, I wasn't 93 at the time. <laughs> I wasn't 16. I was exactly. 17. Yeah, exactly. And um, it's, you know, it, yeah, and 
I love that song. I love the music about it. You know, some of the lyrics don't make any sense, but some of them hit home quite a bit. Just one of those weird things. Uh, it's a really cool song that was written by Gene Simmons and Steve Cornell, an old friend of his who wound up in Wicked Lester at some point early on. But if it wasn't for Steve Cornell, Gene and Paul would have never met. So that guy is super important. And if I may have another personal note aside here, Going Blind to Me is massive. Why? Well, I went to the KISS convention in 1995, the official one that they held, where they actually performed, you know, after a 12-hour day, and they performed acoustic, all request, quote-unquote. I know they had some of these songs worked up, because some of them sounded way too good. Well, performed, quote-unquote. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And and some of them, they didn't know from anything. But some of the ones, like, wow, those guys, like, nailed it. And I was like, oh, wait, they've probably been rehearsing some of these songs. They knew we wanted to hear this. Exactly. So Going Blind was one of those songs, thankfully. They did it all the way top to bottom. And there, there came a point early on in the acoustic set where they said, Hey, by the way, we have guys out in the crowd. They have microphones. If you see one, wave them in your direction, and they might come down. And Paul basically said, you know these lyrics probably better than we do. So, Well, better than Gene does, at least. Better than Gene does, exactly. <laughs> there you go. See, you can tell she's a fan. She knows. <laughs> it's always just really funny because it's like, Gene, why won't you play this song? And he's like, eh, we recorded that song. Like a year ago, so how am I supposed to remember it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, how's he know which way we're going? Yeah. And this is this is very personal. Like I said, I have the footage to prove it. This is no BS. They play Going Blind. I grabbed, no, no kidding, Tommy Thayer who was working the mics that night, along with Spiro, who was the uh, Gene and Cold Gin, along with him. And I, I, I didn't realize it was Tommy at the time, of course. Yeah, we, nobody knew um, who Tommy was at that yeah. time. I knew I knew Spiro was Spiro because he had a Gene Simmons shirt on, <laughs> but Tommy was a little more uh, discreet. Yeah, he was a little more incognito, but he had a mic. And uh, so I was like, hey, man. like They're playing Going Blind. I'm trying to enjoy it, but at the same time, I'm like, I want to sing. If I could sing Going Blind, and it's not just Kiss karaoke, it's live backup vocals. Like, with Kiss. This would be like I could die tomorrow, you know, kind of thing. I got the last verse and chorus on it, and it really happened. I was on the mic, because I look like a fool on that video. (laughs) There's video to prove it, but I look like a total fool. I am in the moment. I am headbanging a little bit here, because I had had my, my long, shaggy hair at the time. And uh, I am just, I am in another planet. I'm just like, and I do a lot of woos, you know, like between <laughs> lines. And it's it's such, I, I did such a shitty job. I mean, I was singing my butt off when you I was You were singing, so excited, I bet. But I was making a lot of noise, too, on the side. <laughs> and uh, I remember at the end of the last uh, verse, I just went, ow! You know, I just <laughs> howled. And it was, it's kind of embarrassing now that I talk about it and think about it. But oh no, I that's was, fantastic. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, we will find this clip. We will get it on the internet sooner rather than later. And, and it will be up for your enjoyment and your visual pleasure. You're going to have to do that in your own time. That's fine. Give me the tape. I will figure this out. Okay. And on that note, uh, I don't have much to say about the song that I picked 
or my alternate song, really, as the case may be. Well, I, I'm but, sorry that you handed me this record, and you're like, what would your song be? And I looked at it, and I immediately said, go in blind. I know, it's my own fault. But I have a great alternate pick here. Um, the song we're going to play after Going Blind is another Gene song, Let Me Go Rock and Roll. It's great on the album Hotter Than Hell. It's great live. I love when they play it live. They still pretty much do. That's one of the only, I think it's really one of the only songs on Hotter Than Hell that is still on the set list. Like I said, tragic, but great song. Always love hearing it. So here you go. Well, another double shot for you. Here's Going Blind and Let Me Go Rock and Roll.
All right, that was Going Blind and and Let Me Go Rock and Roll. Yes, off of the 1974 album Hotter Than Hell, two albums in one year. There you go, that's what they did. A uh, fun little music industry story for the non-fan. Uh, Kiss put out albums like at a breakneck pace, like between like the first five or six years they were around, there was an album out pretty much every six months, if not less sometimes. Reason being, especially in the early days of the band where they had no money and the label had no money, basically when Casablanca, which was the label they were on, first started, Kiss was their only act. If there was any kind of massive sendback of vinyl product to the warehouse, that means no money, you know, potential money, you know, they, they get to refund money. That would have been the end of the label. And that would have been the end of the band. I mean, that would have been... So basically, the label made the band go off-road for, you know, like, hey, take two or three weeks off of your concert tour and go record an album. You've got two weeks, three weeks to finish it. And if you don't have songs written, start writing now and, and just do it in the studio, bam. So that way they could tell the, the record stores... You know, they'd be like, hey, we we're going to send these back. I was, oh, no, we got the new one coming out in a few weeks, so you're going to have to have the old one for catalog in case the interest peak, you know, comes up again, because that's what happens. That's brilliant. So that's why they did it. That's why they did it that way. That's why there's a new album out every six months, because they had to. They had to do that to live. It was like all or nothing. It's like when authors go in for book signings and sign the regular bookstore copies of their books, so that yeah. way people can't take them back. Exactly. That's brilliant, yeah. Genius. Genius. So, hope you like those two songs. You hear a vast difference in style, even, just between the first two songs and those last two. Uh, you know, Hotter Than Hell is very much a favorite, especially of the metal bands. When you, look at, when you look at the artists that have covered songs off of the Hotter Than Hell album, they definitely lean towards more of a metal variety. Three songs alone on Hotter Than Hell have been covered by Anthrax. Uh, Dinosaur Jr. and the Melvins both have covered Gone Blind before. Uh, you know, just really cool, and it, it's very—it's produced very heavy. You can hear it in the mix. It's a lot lighter mix in the first one, heavier on the second. But then, I guess apparently the president of Casablanca, Neil Bogart, thought that that album was too heavy or too muddy sounding, so he's like, oh, "I'll just produce your third album." Also, that saves on costs. Label president isn't going to take any producer money, so they're like, "Okay, great, we're saving money. Go ahead." You're like, "How many? Like, no bands today would be like, hey, the." president of the record labels producing our album that's kind of weird but that's how they did it then so we get dressed to kill for album number three and the mix is pretty thin actually uh although some of the songs are really there it kind of suffers from a thin production it's a fun record fun fact i know this is lenny kravitz's favorite kiss album that makes me smile. Yeah, there you go. Lenny's a cool guy. Yeah, and basically the the album is very heavy on road experiences because that's all they were doing at the time. You got some fun cheesy songs like Room Service and Ladies in Waiting and stuff like that. Uh, but then they they uh, resurrect some songs from their Wicked Lesser days like She and Love Her All I Can. Those are really cool songs. And of course, Rock and Roll All Night appears for the very first time on Dress to Kill. A lot of cool songs on this album. We had to pick two. Nola, which one did you pick? I picked Love Her All I Can. Yeah, Love Her All I Can is a great song. I, I love the, the riff throughout the whole thing. I love the fun drum solo stuff at the end of it. Um, I like the lyrics. They're simple, but they are very meaningful. They, they're very meaningful to me, at least. Wonder why. I don't know. Yeah, so... I hey. don't know. 
So anyway, I, I that was definitely a contender for me, but I'm going to go uh, a different route, and I'm also going to pay tribute to a non-studio album at the same time. So we're going to play Lover All I Can, and I'm going to take... So even though this song is from Dress to Kill, I'm going to cheat a little bit and go with Come On and Love Me, but not the Dress to Kill version, the Alive version, because I feel Alive is that important. It should be represented somehow. You know, any... Any show dealing in full history has to have a live on there. So I'm going to use it to represent that. So I hope you allow me to do that on this episode. I suppose so. Yes. When we started this, we were like, only studio albums. But, you know, granted, it is from a studio album. It's not like they only put it on a live. Yeah, exactly. This showed up in 1974. And, you know, if you want to play it from an alive show, that is your call. This is your show. Well, it's just as much your show, especially this week, baby, so. No. <laughs> so here you go. Without further ado, once again, this is Love Her All I Can and... Come on and love me. Yeah. Ow!
right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. All right. See, they were applauding for me right there. I know. You're fantastic. No, that was all for you, I can tell. Oh. Um, that was Lover All I Can from Dress to Kill from 1975. Also, the live version of Come On and Love Me from 1975 as well on the live album. So, a little bit of a cheat, but going with it. Yeah. Yeah, so. And, you know, obviously, if you've made it this far and you've never really listened to Kiss all that much, especially besides just the radio stuff, basically, if you're sticking to radio stuff, you've heard three Kiss songs probably in your whole life, which would be Rock and Roll All Night, Detroit Rock City, and Beth. You know, maybe a few markets would have been cool enough to play some of their 80s stuff, I guess, but that's no, pretty much all nobody's you've... cool enough to play their yeah, 80s stuff. Yeah. But they, yeah, isn't it weird that you don't hear Kiss <laughs> songs really on classic rock radio? At least around these parts, you never hear no, if it's on fire our... or look it up or anything like that. No, our radio stations around here, especially the classic rock radio stations, are yeah. so saturated with, you know, Petty and the Eagles and Steve Miller Band and ZZ Top and Skinner. Yeah. You know, and okay. we like half of those bands and the other ones I never want to hear again. Yeah. Know, so. it's... Yeah, it's just one of those things. They have the same... 300 songs they play and then that's it if that 300 but that's why satellite's so cool they play obscure kiss songs and well, what they did was they got that 100 disc cd changer oh yeah and they put that kiss cd in but it kept jamming up on them they were just like bad we'll just leave it yeah they just threw it away that's why he, it's like oh we had those three songs on like these different compilations of number one hits or something i don't know now that's it's, what i call music yeah it's it's just it's limiting and that's one of those things why most people know more kiss merchandising than songs or something like that or just you know i don't and i i think that's the reason why a lot of people are probably turned off by kiss too they they only see the merch and they only hear those three songs and they're like it's... Yeah, or like I've heard those songs five billion times, yeah. kind of thing. They don't hear anything different. We're gonna play a whole bunch of different styles, uh, styles that may surprise you, like that they're capable of writing certain songs. Obviously, we're not talking about like Dylan here. You know, you got lyrics like, "She's a dancer, a romancer. I'm a Capricorn, and she's a Cancer." It's it's so corny, but it it's Kiss. It works for them. Yeah, exactly. Like if Dylan were to sing that. People would probably. Oh, they would still go. Oh, it's brilliant. This yeah, is, it's amazing. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> Paul Stanley's singing it with a star painted on his face, and they're like, "Ugh, hack." Yeah, exactly. Like, that's, yeah. that's just. Yeah. You right. you hear with your eyes. I'm gonna move on before I go into like some sort of anti Rolling Stone rant, like I always do. But uh, moving on, of course, at this point, the band has achieved their quote unquote overnight success once a uh, live really started to sell. I had actually just recently watched a few days ago their Behind the Music, which was actually called Beyond the Makeup, that VH1 did a few years ago. And it was funny because they were talking about how broke they were when they did a live, and the re- the other reason they did a live was to save money because it cost less to record a live album than it did to make a studio album. Makes sense. So as luck would have it, Eddie Kramer, who actually produced their first demo basically uh you know agreed to do the alive recording because he liked the band uh and you know like i said it still saved money and it was it was it was a huge gamble even though they were saving money it was a huge gamble because this was going to be the end of the label if they didn't make a profit off of alive that was going to be it and uh paul said something to the effect when they were mixing down the album with Eddie Kramer he's like uh, and he asked like Bill a coin or something, their manager, and he said, 
do you think we might sell 300,000 records? And then he goes, that would be really nice. (laughs) So they were just kind of watching the sales climb and started to climb, and then they realized that, hey, this was going to be a hit. They they sold their said 300,000, and then it went four right away, half a mil, went a million faster than anything else, and then it went to about two or three, I think, by the end of the run. So they started making money finally. And, yay. Yay, and so they were on their way. And they said this was proof positive that every time they'd run into certain fans who would actually tell them the truth, they said, you guys don't sound the way you do live that you do on record. So they knew that making a live album probably would be a smart move. So when they went back to the studio to do a studio album, they were like, well, we can't go back to making records that fans don't think represent us. We can't have this bubblegum pop production and mixing. Yeah. It just didn't suit their their over-the-top, you know, hedonistic nature, you know? They had to get something that sounded like they do live, even if you've got them They needed to sound like Kiss is. Yeah. Uh, You know, not only was it super smart to get Bob Ezrin, who had been known pretty much at that point just producing Alice Cooper records, and they were big Alice fans, and, you know, Alice was a big early influence on them because they were like, Alice is doing great. Why not four Alice's? That was basically yeah. the idea. Let, let's take Alice and make him more over the top and multiply him. Yeah, exactly. And and do it with more of a Beatles style than a than a metal style, you know. And really, that represents all of the different images that they created for these four guys. Like, uh, the way that they act on stage and the way they're supposed to be off stage, it's all there in Destroyer. But, um, it's and Destroyer is one of those albums. It's it's super heralded. Even a lot of people that don't own multiple Kiss albums, they probably have Destroyer. It's it's the record, really, their major studio record that represents the quote unquote heyday of Kiss. So Destroyer is the thing, and they have consistently played seven songs from this album live. Yeah, I was just thinking about of all the all the songs that you had just named, and I'm like, how many songs are there? that they play, and I was like, I don't know if I just play these a lot, or if they play them a lot. It's actually six out of nine, uh, but they have performed uh, eight out of nine live. The only one they've never played live is Sweet Pain. Everything. I was going to guess Sweet Pain or Flaming Youth. Yeah, Flaming Youth was played originally on the tour. That was pretty much it for that song, but that one's hard to recreate live anyway because it's got the calliope on it and a bunch of other extra crazy Bob Ezrin Ooh, stuff. Calliope, yeah, calliope on there. That <laughs> really fancy. That pissed off some of the hardcore fans. That you know, what's funny is that as heralded as the album is now, in retrospect, the hardcore Kiss fans that were there from day one hated Destroyer when it came out. They thought it was a complete sellout, and to be fair, it kind of was when you put it versus any of the other three albums. They're like, this sounds like an entirely different band. They're like, oh, it's just a Bob Ezrin record and all this stuff. But, you know, who knows? Uh, we'll let we'll let you be the judge. It's a great album. It's one of those albums you could even play for the most jaded of critics. And even if he's going to write a bad review on it, secretly, he probably does like it. So uh, here it is in all of its bombastic glory. And we'll go ahead and promote the Destroyer Resurrected re-release, which is the Bob Ezrin mixes. Uh turned up uh, to the nth degree here so wow you'll hear the production that's for sure we're about to jump a huge chasm here on destroyer represented for nola is do you love me oh yes absolutely 
And uh, Do You Love Me is a great song, infamously covered by Nirvana later on. Uh, uh, terribly, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask. Oh, I've never played it for you for a reason. Oh, I know, thank you. I know you're not a big Nirvana fan, thank number one. You. And number two, it might just ruin it for you. Please don't play that then. Let's play <laughs> Kiss's version of Do You Love Me. We, we will definitely do that. What's uh, going to follow up? Uh, actually, I'm going to play Do You Love Me last because I like it following oh. King of the Nighttime World. Um, so we're both we're playing both Paul songs. Uh, these are the two best songs, uh, I think. I love Detroit Rock City and everything, but to me, these two are really Paul all the way. So uh, I just think they're super awesome songs. And uh, here you go. This is Kiss from 1976 Destroyer. These versions are from Destroyer Resurrected. So a little bit different than uh, what you might be used to if you've heard it for years and years and years. But I actually think these these remixes are really good and worthy of hearing. So here you go. King of the Nighttime World and Do You Love Me. Living 
That was... Who was that playing? Nola? That was, um... That was Kiss playing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we're doing on the show here today. That was Kiss with King of the Nighttime World and Do You Love Me. Great new mixes off of Destroyer Resurrected. Go check it out. If you've never owned Destroyer before, it's it's not like... It's not a George Lucas BS thing where he totally <laughs> changes it and you lose the soul of it. Uh, he's only merely turned some of the levels up on some of the other extra sounds that were already there in the first place. It's not some stupid re-recorded crap. It's all there. It's just... The board was so limited back in the day, they didn't have the multiple tracks, and he just was able to go in there and put more things in it without having the band come back in and do it. It it's, it's, sounds beautiful. It's amazing on the headphones, so make sure you do that once. Listen to it on the headphones for sure when you get it. There you go. I I'm, I can fanboy ramble all day. Please stop me at some point here, Nola. No. Okay. So what is the next album we're going to talk about, Nola? The next album is one of the greatest albums of all time with some of the coolest cover art of all time. Oh, yeah. This is the iconic cover. And as iconic as Destroyer is, they've used this pretty much on almost most of their merchandising, it seems. Yeah. Uh, this is a. Go ahead. This next album is Rock and Roll Over. Yeah. 1976. Produced by Eddie Kramer, who produced Kiss's first demo session and the Alive album. The thinking was this is one of those instances where uh, Destroyer hadn't even caught up to the band yet, and this, they were already recording Rock and Roll Over. And basically, it was in the point where, oh, the fans aren't really digging this album. They They think that we did really bad. So we need to kind of go back to basics a little bit. So Rock and Roll Over was kind of a hit the panic button and let's get our hardcore fans. So uh, Beth hadn't become the monster hit that it turned out to be. It was just starting to gain a little bit of momentum. So, you know, they were like, we got to do complete just what we used to do kind of out. So this is what Rock and Roll Over really uh, it was bore out of the initial bomb that was Destroyer. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, uh, but uh, uh, fun fact, they recorded it in a theater in New Jersey that was owned by Frank Sinatra. So the the whole point was, we're going to set up like we're playing live, and they were going to record it direct and live, and that's, I think that's the sound they got. It's very, uh, someone even compared the mix to almost kind of Zeppelin. It's it's very live sounding, very very raw but heavy. Uh, but there's some very cool songs on there. Like you said, it's it's one of their best albums, that's for sure. There's people that really love this album that still get mad that Kiss isn't playing Mr. Speed on every tour, <laughs> which is which is a really fun song. But yeah, classic album. I know uh, I know my podfather uh, Michael Butler. His first Kiss concert was a Rock and Roll Over tour, 1976, and he said he threw up in the parking lot beforehand <laughs> i wonder why he did that no, anyway, i don't know i'm not gonna get into that but uh but that's a that's a story for butler to tell you go go yeah. email him oh he's already gone on record with it i just don't remember the substance that made him throw up in the parking lot it was probably just beer but uh anyway well we'll just say it was beer yeah so so i digress but uh uh once again really hard to choose a song off of here i'm going no. with no, it wasn't. Not for you. You said right away what it was. Now, me, I've got a lot of personal favorites on here. Like, Take Me, uh, I Want You is a great song. I love uh, the song Making Love. That's that's Paul all the way. That's great. 
Uh, I'm going with uh, the very cheesy yet completely vintage Gene song called Ladies Room. I just love the music on it. I really honestly like the music more than the lyrics, but the chorus is catchy. And now it also makes me think of the Detroit Rock City movie because when they're running to the when they're when they're doing that really wacky scene in the girls' bathroom where they're trying to hide, of course, ladies' room. Yeah. Makes me think of that now, so it makes me smile just that much more. I love Detroit Rock City, of course I do. But um your your pick uh, is couldn't be more different than yeah. the song Ladies Room. This uh this song I first heard as a cover. And it was a song that I thought was by Garth Brooks. Right. And that cover was Hard Luck Woman. Orig- uh, now I know, originally by Kiss. Yeah. Paul wrote the song to give to Rod Stewart, originally, because it sounded like Maggie May. That I did not know. That's very cool. Yeah. yeah. But uh, th- this is a song that I would play on the jukebox at this diner up in Tishomingo with my grandparents and my brothers and my parents and I'm like ooh Garth Brooks and I would I would play that and then I would play and please don't hate me for this achy breaky heart (laughs) back to back Ah. and I and I always like I knew that everybody would just turn and look at me because they knew that it was me that was doing it (laughs) and at the same time you told me about your achy breaky past I I I I I commend you for actually coming out with it on air. That's very brave of you. And, uh, and and I mean, I didn't know, and I was just like, ooh, Garth Brooks and Icky Breaky Heart. Yeah, yeah. that's fun. This is fun. <laughs> and I'm like eight or ten years old. I, yeah. don't, I didn't know any better. I apologize to well, everybody you... that's out there. That's all right. But, um, but I just recently showed you that clip of Garth performing the song on the Tonight Show with Kiss as his backup yeah. band, which is very odd to see. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> ah. Oh dear. But uh, but tonight we're gonna play the Kiss version, the original yes. version, sung by Peter Chris. Yeah. So uh, I think uh, that was one of those things where apparently Peter was like, "Man, f that, f Rod Stewart, I'm singing it," you know, and like. Uh, Paul was like, well, if we're going to record it, I want to sing it. And Eddie Kramer was like, why don't we get Peter to try this one? It's kind of a a slower song. Paul, let Peter have a turn on the vocals. And then if he's bad, then we'll give it to you. Hush. And according to the the book where they talk about every album, uh, Paul was like, no, I don't want you to hear Peter sing it. Because then you'll say you want him to put it on the album instead of me. Because basically it was just like, yeah, because he's got the hit out right now. Because Beth was just starting to chart while they were recording it. So, yeah. Paul didn't want to share his ballads. That's fine. That's, yeah, you know. That's Paul's prerogative, but he, you know. He got over it after a while. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's like, hey, but he's writing the songs. Peter, the songs that Peter were submitting. I'm sorry. I'm sure there's a lot of hardcore Peter Chris fans out there. But the songs that he would submit to the band that would make the album. I just don't think they were even up to snuff with. Were they not of... even up to achy breaky heart? <laughs> well, they they might have been up to those standards, but I feel like we we got robbed of some other really good songs that could have been on the album because they were like, okay, it was a consensus. Well, you know? everybody has to have a song. Yeah, exactly, and except for Ace, who still didn't want to sing, but we'll get to the, we'll get to that later. Ace, Ace will eventually come out of a show. He eventually will. We'll be on that next album, but until then. We're going to represent the album Rock and Roll Over from 1976, starting off with the great ladies' room and, uh, and get your air cowbells out. 
and also ending here. We're going to end the show tonight. Wow. Uh, the last song of the night on part one. It's going to be Hard Luck Woman. So here you go. Take it away, boys. Never have seen you cry If not for a first hug. 
Closing out the show on a very nice note there. That was Hard Luck Woman. Uh, before that, Ladies Room, both off of the album Rock and Roll Over from 1976, produced by the great Eddie Kramer. Uh, I've been having fun. This was a fun episode for me, Nola. You've been doing okay over there? I'm doing good. It was it was fun. I yeah. always always have fun with you. Yeah. And it's it's always fun to be on the show and to to say random, weird, wacky stuff. Yeah. I, I love it. I could do this all day. I, I wish I could do this for a living. Maybe someday, right? Give us money and we can do this for a living. <laughs> give us money, yes. We and will the, send you things if you give us money. I need I need a Give Me Money tab on the uh, website. And that website actually is cnjradio.com. You can go there and you can email myself. Tell me how much you like Nola on the show here. Tell me if you were a KISS fan before this episode, or you were not, or still aren't. I want to know why. 
We're doing our very best here to be the kind of representatives of the yeah. <laughs> Wait. We, we wait. don't want to convert you, but we would like you to at least acknowledge that there is light at the end of the Kiss Tunnel. <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah, this is going to be interesting to hear the song-by-song commentary. There's some very awesome listeners that do that already. Uh, three come to mind, Todd and Robert and Tino. Hi, Thank- Tino! Yeah, there you go. Tino um, gets a shout-out because you, you talk about Tino a lot. You're, yes. You're uh, always excited when you hear from Tino. Yeah, exactly. So. And and also, definitely thank you, Todd and Robert. I yes, love, Todd and Robert. Love your song-by-song commentaries. Uh, I, I enjoy reading that, and, uh, you know, stuff like that. And to the rest of the other five listeners, thank you so much for listening. Um, yeah. But, yeah, on CNJ Radio, you can go to the Facebook and the Twitter and the iTunes feed link. Send that to your to your music loving friends. Uh, if you know any hardcore Kiss fans, you know, hey, get them on board here. I mean, it's not gonna be anything they haven't heard before, but you know, one of us, one of us. Well, it'll be it'll be new commentary that they haven't heard before. So that's always interesting. It always is to me. Uh, I was just going to give one more shout out. I don't know if you have seen this yet, but I was Facebook creeping, and uh, Travis, one of our buddies down here had written some stuff on the Facebook. Oh, yeah, I saw that today. Yeah. So, so thank you, Travis, for getting caught up on the shows. All right. I, I, I don't know if Travis is going to enjoy these four shows, but I would be very curious to see what he has to say about them. I know he is cool enough to give it a chance. He will try. He will. I know he will listen, and he will tell me whether he likes it or not, and I appreciate that. And for the rest of you out there that are, that are like Travis, maybe... Or, you know, I, I, I'm just very curious. I, I know that some of you people aren't big fans. Uh, I don't think Todd's a big Kiss fan. I, I, I definitely know that my friend Steve is not a big Kiss fan. So we'll see what's doing here. Yeah, um, we'll see what's what. Yeah, and uh, coming up next, part two, which will drop in a day or two. Uh, we're going to focus on the 1977 through 1982 era. This is very interesting because it goes from them being superstars and then the downward spiral starts on the popularity scale where they just completely lose pretty much all of their star. So part two is going to be really interesting. It's one of my favorite periods because it is so different. You're going to hear a bunch of different styles. So what you heard on the show here today was very basic in the Kiss style. It's going to be way different on part two so i can't wait for you to check it out i think you're gonna enjoy it or at least you're gonna be intrigued by it right spooky fingers all right we'll see you on part two until then have a great evening we'll see you in a few bye have fun They're kissing and driving